Welcome back to Badass Women 50 Plus. I am 88-year-old Robin Lane. I am a director, producer, psychotherapist, and the creator of Badass Women. And it's going to be my pleasure today to introduce you to the gal who often shares our interviewing. She is my co-host and best bud, Maria Sakur. And though Maria is far from 50, as you will see, she is a badass. She's an actress, a director, a producer, and a multi-award winning filmmaker. And though age is not yet a challenge for her, she is mixed race in a profession that favors Caucasians. The entertainment industry is a challenge for women in general, as only one out of every four jobs go to actresses. And if, like Maria, you're not only female, but you're mixed race, well then the challenge is daunting. Out of that small pie, white actresses get 75% of it. 12.5% go to black actresses, 5% go to Hispanics, and Asian American actresses get a mere morsel. So how does an artist overcome all of these odds and stay viable in this industry? Well, Maria Sakur is here to tell us. But before we delve into all of that, let me introduce her to you by way of a clip of her performing opposite Zoe Saldana and Omar Gooding in the TV series Playmaker of New Orleans, back somewhat at the start of her career. And though the quality of the video has deteriorated a bit, her star quality shines through. Girl, you are fine. That's real. That, that ain't a wedding ring, is it? No, it's not, baby. That would be on this finger. Okay, make it short. But that sure. is so sweet. You say the nice things. Let me get your number before we get up out of here. Wait, is he for real? Yeah. <laughs> Bartender, help him play out, man. Tracy! Tracy! <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> oh, everybody, this is my little baby sister, Jada. Hi. Oh. Champagne bartender. Oh. Take off your jacket. It's your shirt. Oh, it's cute. <laughs> Girl, tonight we are going to celebrate. Yes. You are a full-fledged woman now. Tracy. <laughs> Here's to my little baby sister, Jada. This is her big night. Bartender Cherries. Oh, no. <laughs> Yo, baby, you go to SC, too? Excuse me, this is my little sister, and she is spoken for. So, Maria Sakura, that was Playmakers of New York? Is that correct? That was actually Playmakers of New Orleans. Playmakers of New Orleans, and you were wearing your braids in that. So one of the things, we will get into more serious stuff, but you get into parts through hairstyles, correct? Absolutely. I mean, as our, audi our audience is going to see uh, in your videos, <laughs> you know, each part's a different hair. Well, you know, it's all a part of slipping into fiction. I mean, today for this interview, this is blow-dried, curled and dropped a little bit longer <laughs> you know what i mean Ta-da! how does it look uh, it looks gorgeous so so today i'm being myself and i'm here with you so this is my this is my maria hairstyle you know um, um 
pumped up a little bit. But yes, when I do slip into fiction, it's great because all of my characters have different hairstyles. It's, it's, it's a staple for not only actresses, but for ethnic girls like myself. <laughs> talking, about, talking about ethnic girls. Yes. So in that, you played one kind of ethnicity and you have had an issue throughout your career. I mean, being as talented as you are and as beautiful as you are, you should have been a big star by now. And that's held you back, hasn't it? It has. You know, it's interesting when you say you should have been a big star. I mean, what, what does that really mean? Um, money, money, fame, okay, and having sure. the, the, op the option of picking the parts you want to play. That's what it means. Right. Artistic and I, freedom. And I guess I slipped into, at one point it was a B actor, and then one point now, now it's working actress. Um, I think that race plays a very important part. Especially now, you know, oftentimes I hear people say, um, you know, Maria, it should be easier for you now as an actress because ethnic actresses are working. That's a lot of bull. That's so not true. Um, and those same people, unfortunately, sometimes most of them even come across and they'll say something like, oh, well, you know, why do we have to hire all ethnic actresses or, or, or you look at projects that mainly are African-American. That doesn't necessarily mean it's an African-American project or an all Asian project. I mean, when you see Steven Spielberg doing the color purple, I mean, it's a film, you know, um, I think that we just get so pegged into certain places and it's been very hard for me because I've never been, well, obviously I can't play Caucasian, but I'm, I'm never Spanish enough. I'm never black enough. I'm never Asian enough. I'm never mixed enough. You know, um, it, it, it has played a big role for me in my career. Um, and it's been very difficult, but it's part of the package. It's part of what happens. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there are plenty of times it gets you down. Yeah. Um, you know, or is it not in your nature? No, it's not in my nature, but it, it is very frustrating because, you know, you get to a point where you hear casting directors or producers call you personally and talk about how close you were or, or how you were almost I there. Talk about how what you are? I, I didn't say that. Say that again. I didn't understand what you said. Talk of, they talk to you about how what you are? About how close to getting a role you were or how much how they close. close or how how much they enjoyed your performance, but how I but, would fit, but, but how I would fit in a cast, right? Because there's also something that we always have to think about, which is, um, and I learned this as a director, is that there's also somewhat of, 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 of a cast palette that you have to look at. So majority of the times, the, the lead actress is Caucasian. And of course. Right? And if she's yes. blonde or blue-eyed, I may be a little bit too strong next to her. Or, you know, I might not fit. Or the times that I was able to play a leading lady, right, which were very few, um, you look at, well, my best friend, who would that be? Usually it was someone ethnic. It was never someone that was Caucasian. I mean, I can't recall a time uh, where I was a leading lady and my best friend was Caucasian, blonde hair and blue-eyed. Maybe a brunette, maybe a little bit more of the lines of someone Italian or Latin or somewhat of ethnic descent. So, um, you know, what you were talking, excuse me, Ray, but what you were talking about before about how people say, oh, well, it's so much easier now. I hear that all the time. I hear that from friends. 
friends that should know better. That will tell me, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, minorities are getting all these roles. And it's so crazy when you look up the statistics, it has nothing to do with reality. But I think that also teaches me that if, if it's a person that's white, they really haven't learned the lesson. You see, you can't really just preach and say, hey, give someone an opportunity of, 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 of a certain ethnic background, race or religion. And then when the opportunity faces itself, you say, oh, well, you know, there's so many opportunities for you. And then you make a comment about it. So really, where does that person stand? You have to really That's think That's a very about good it. question, but we can't answer that question right now because what we want to do is take a look at you in Jersey Justice where you have my absolute favorite hairstyle. But before we do, can you just get, bring us into the story a little bit? Sure. Uh, I played opposite of Emmy Award winning Blanche Baker, a good friend of mine, wonderful actress, and I got to, I got to play a butch femme lesbian. So, um, and, and it was great because she was very tough. She was somewhat, um, you know, blue collar. She was a bartender and it was just a really cool role because she, I got to play a really tough girl and I even got to do some of my own stuff. And the story? And the story is about Polly O'Bannon who plays Blanche Baker. She loses her son and, um, two, two killers from New Jersey, uh, actually attack him, kill him, and she goes on this wild hunt to find out who the killers are. And during that time, she meets me, and I go on this wild, uh, <laughs> this this wild, um, I go on this wild uh, goose chase. Well, with it doesn't her. matter, Maria, Maria, because we're only going to see when you first meet her. Okay. So as long as the audience is brought into that, so let's go to video. You need anything else? You, you, you want another shot? No. I'm done here. But, um, you know, maybe you could help me. Oh, sure, anything. I mean, anything. I'm going on to Tabernacle. I'm, I'm looking for this place called Mrs. J's. I'm looking for these two men. They killed my husband. I am going to find them, and I am going to kill them. Do not let us get in your way. Be quiet, Finn. Uh, look, lady. <laughs> I mean, you, you could call the police and this could all be... Excuse me. I am going to do this. Me. And I have to finish this today. Now, why don't you just help me? Why don't you do it for my son and my husband? Uh, lady, these are the Hawks. And, uh... <laughs> these are the Red Hawks. You're going to be in a lot of trouble messing with these guys, especially Roberto and Carlo. You really know them. What's going on here? Are you just trying to protect them? Oh, boy. Why don't I just call an ambulance to meet you, Mrs. J's? And you, remember the last time you f***ed with Carlo? Come on, Felix. Damn. That's my business, goofball. What do you know? More rumors from those pud knockers at the old friendly sons? You old f***ers are like old ladies with your f***ing gossip. No more booze for you, Finney. Out! And that goes for you too, Mrs. O'Bannon. Is this really gonna bring back your husband and your son? I'll pay you. You just tell me how much. Now you're talking. And you can buy yourself some hospitalization insurance, Felix. Believe me, I would love to see Carlo get his due. All right, then just tell me what to do. Come on, Felix, help me. 
Closing down. Everybody out. Hey, what about me? Go home, fool. You're retired. Do something useful. Stop drinking so early in the morning. Now get out of my bar. Polly, you come with me. We're back. But yes. that is my favorite hairdo that you have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was long and curly. Yes. So t tell us about, you started out as a model, isn't that true? Oh, Miss America? Yes. You've well, done a lot of things. You're a dancer, a model, Miss America, always in the limelight. Well, not Miss America, but yes, I did because I belonged to a, a dance company. It was a junior dance company when I was younger and they were looking for a model for Capizio and they wanted somebody that was young, anywhere between the age of 13 to 18. Back then I was 13. So I did my first print ad for Capizio dance for clothing. It was for dance clothes. Uh, I did my first. Um, and Maria, who, got, who, who introduced you to that? Your mom? No, they were actually doing a search uh, at dance companies and at, at dance schools. And so I sent in a photo and then I remember it was an At 13, you were smart enough to send in a photo? Well, my mother did. Because <laughs> oh, okay. I had ballet pictures and so on and so forth. So she sent it in and then I got a call about a couple of weeks later. I thought I would never hear from them. But then, um, but so, so I modeled their dance wear which was a lot of fun. And that led me to other things in print work. <laughs> and the other things? The other things. Um, so I've, I've done parts modeling for legs. I've modeled for Revlon hair and eye makeup and, and, and eyelashes and everything uh, down the gamut. Some, uh, as well as some magazine covers and other products. For I have not seen your magazine companies. covers. So the next time we get together, you're going to bring over the magazine covers. Sure. <laughs> They're ancient, but I'll bring them over. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's how, so that's how I got started. Um, I, I started doing print work. It was really from my dance company at the time. I had that opportunity. So let, let's go back to, um, you had been talking about the different kinds of roles that you're, can play when you have kind of an undetermined ethnicity. And what do you call it? You call it, there's a name you told me once, it's called non-something. What is that? Sure. Occasionally there will be roles for what they say, non-race specific women. Non-race specific. Okay, because we're gonna show um, a little clip where it is race specific. All right, the last thing we saw was non-race specific, but this one you play. Hispanic. Yes. Okay, so let's take a look. It's from Kato. Open up! Wanta, wanta contra, hold on! What do you want? We're looking for Freddie Leone. He's at work. Can I give him a message? Strike three. We're looking for his friend Ty Amsinger, who he used to rob banks with. No, no, no. Freddie never robbed no banks. Those were all lies. And if you're looking for Ty Amsinger, he's in prison. He just broke out a couple hours ago. Look, Ty knows all types of bad people. Peor que un criminal, like Val Jester and Robbie Simon. So why don't you two go bother them? We were just at their houses, and they were in bed, like most people at this hour. Well, Freddie works the early shift. He starts at 3 a.m. What does he work? He's a bag handler at Louis Armstrong. We are back. <laughs> that was... Definitely race specific. <laughs> Bilingual at that. <laughs> Bilingual at that. 
But then you go on to become a filmmaker yourself. And I assume that that was because it was very, parts were hard to get, given the problems that we're talking about. What I really was very surprised was that unlike most actresses, you didn't make your first film about starring yourself. You made one about a dance company of African-American kids in the inner city in Bed-Stuy. Yeah. So how come? Well, originally my, my writing partner, Frank and I, he brought me to this group of dancers. And back then I was also, I was doing two other documentaries. So even though that was my first one that, that, um, that got distribution, there were other projects that I was working on. But when I met these characters, um, BSV, that stands for the Bedside Veterans, I was really, really inspired. I was really inspired by their, by their, the way they would transcend art through their dance. So, so tell us so about these kids. This community, these these dancers were able to literally learn and teach themselves how to dance this type of dance style, and sometimes a six by six. A space, which is the side of a sidewalk, and they would do these dance moves that um, that were Bruckup moves. And Bruckup originally it comes from Jamaica, from George Bruckup Adams. And in Patois, they say Bruckup, mean that you you're broke up, like you're broken. And so they're dancing as if their bones are broken. But what was compelling was that how these dancers not only were the most well-renowned dancers in the world at the time, and how it had Oh, Caribbean and and hip hop foundation with popping, locking, and so on and so forth. But what they did was they used this dance form and they created um, a dance competition called Loud League, the League of Unreal Dancers. And they brought kids in the community of Brook of in Brooklyn and around the world to come together for this competition. But what it did was it saved lives because these kids had something to aspire to. They could they could live in their post-World War I apartments in small spaces and dance and practice day after day after day with the music and the culture and so on and so forth. And what did that do? That kept them off the streets. That's that great. Helped that, that's right? great. And I can picture it because I know those buildings. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, instead of, and instead I remember of, you telling me that a couple of those dancers were actually homeless. They were. And, and that's what's, that's the other compelling part is that instead of forming gangs, they formed dance crews and that's they got exactly. to know each other and they got to battle and they, and they learned about sportsmanship. They learned about what it was like to be the best and they would aspire to be the best. And that's why these dancers are so well, well, world renowned now is because of the fact that they have taken this to a new level, but it all, and they're also renowned because you made a film about them, which won many, many awards. So on that note, let's go to video. I had never seen anything like it. It's a revolutionary thing to see a completely new dance form. We dance like it's war. Like a ritual. Everything you do means something. That whole gritty nature of street dancing, how to bring it. You're BSV, you're an innovator. Our styles are original. I'm George Adams, the original Brucker. When I saw Brucker, 
something connected right there is just when I found my passion. And I think that's what saved me. He is the start of what New York dance style is, period. Brock Up is more than just dancing. It's becoming your own character, your own self. Right. What's BSB without the kids? We have to make sure that they stay out of trouble and hopefully love the dance. We want to show the world what we're doing in Brooklyn, how we trying to beat the streets in our own little way. We all live in the same area, grew up together, know each other very well, and we love each other. I think the world is going to look at these young men. One day somebody's going to be like, I want to be like them. Bob Marley once said, a whole lot of bad people work at hard to make the world bad. Who are we to take a day off making it good? My so absolute favorite trailer. Now let's let's talk about the next film that you made, which you, you were actually in, and which you claim your Asian identity. Yes. Okay, you want to talk about that, and that's called Kicks. How were you inspired sure. to do that? Well, actually, it was it was after uh, when when President Trump was elected, and he um, he he moved with that Muslim band. And, you know, it, it just stopped immigration. And then I thought about the immigrants in this country, about what they felt like. And in this case, um, my character was half Asian, half Puerto Rican. And another character was half Japanese, half black. Another character was English you, and what, Korean. Hold on a second. Excuse me. You wrote, you directed it. Yes. You starred in it. What gave you the idea to write it about sneakers, of all things? Well, the, you know, in New York, it's very common that we have what you call sneakerheads, and they're usually it's a group anywhere between eight years old all the way up to 58 years old and they collect sneakers and usually they have to wait online and then i thought about it and i said how can you get an ensemble cast together in some way to talk about a racial issue that can ensue and i said oh my goodness exactly it would be it would be a line where everyone is going to buy the latest sneakers and these mix these kids of mixed Asian race get together. And then of course, a racial discussion happens overnight. And then in the morning, the resolve is that they realize how they are all very similar by being part Asian, but also having an American story that's unique to them. What's interesting to me is that as we've been talking, you know, in your career, you're basically an outsider and what I'm very surprised is in that film that the Philippines is considered to be outside. Can, well, why don't we go to video and people will see sure. what I'm talking about. Now I'm going to be handing out numbers for the limited edition Yaki Sotos, but I do have some rules. 
Number one, if you leave your spot in line, you're out of the line. Okay? Also, I only have one size per pair, so some of you will get a pair, some of you won't. You're number one. See, that's what's up. That's my name, too. That's your name? Yeah, I'm a lyricist. I'm number one. You know, if you hashtag that on social media, you may come up as a Chinese restaurant. Stop playing me. All right, who's number two? I am. What are you, twins? Can't be the both of you. We both got it at the same time. All right, but you can't be the same size, right? What size are you both? 12 and a half. You know what? Figure this out on your own. You're adults. Barely. All right, what's up with the two of you? Well, we both have the same issue, but I believe in ladies first. Well, I believe in women's lib, so you need to wait, homie. I'm not your homie. All right, all right. What size are you, ladies? Five. You know what? You can figure this out. Homies. Look, we're all obviously Asian. I mean, I'm full Asian, you both are half Asian. We're all the same. No, we're not. Malcolm and I, we live it. We contribute to it. And so do white people and Asians and the whole damn world. Where are you from? Jersey. Where are your parents from? Puerto Rican and Filipino. Filipinos aren't even Asian. You're from the Pacific Island. Wow, Chips, you went there. Are you that limited in your brain? that you don't think Filipinos are Asians? Am I gonna have to stand next to her all night? Mixed breeds are always fighting for something, especially Amerasians. Really? I'm just saying you guys don't know who you are. I know that my mother was Filipino and my father was Puerto Rican. You, on the other hand, you dress in hip hop like you own this fat. More like clothes or steel. Poor your peoples, Asians that wanna be down, you just use our fashion and dress like us and party with us until it's over. And then you say that we have problems? The Philippines has problems. Puerto Rico has problems. You are the problem. You have problems. Damn, she's mean. Okay, so we're back. So yes. tell us about the future. What's coming up for you? What you're working on now? Well, it's really exciting. I'm working on three feature documentaries. And the one that I uh, started working on the longest was called Freestyle Music, The Legacy, about the Latin artists from the 80s and 90s that came out of Spanish Harlem in the Bronx that created freestyle music, which was a version of using hip hop beats and speeding them up to a certain, a certain pace. Um, and actually it's a hundred and it, they would go from 112 to 118 beats per minute. And, um, it's just really exciting to get all of these artists and bring them together and have them talk about their New York experiences as Latinos, mainly coming from Puerto Rico. Some coming so from the I have to interrupt you. I have to interrupt you because we're going to be running out of time very soon. But so what you're working on now is, is essentially writing, producing, and directing? That is correct. For these documentaries, yes. So you're a limelight. You're not in front of the camera. You're no, behind the camera. camera. You're yeah, right. Behind. You're behind the camera. You're too pretty to be behind the camera. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. We've got it. We've got to get you in front of the camera. Anyhow, okay, I am. <laughs> anyhow, homie. Yes, homie. <laughs> it's fabulous to have you on. So maybe one of these days you will interview me. Okay. Exciting. What an honor. <laughs> that would be great. Then we would need a two-hour episode. <laughs> this is fantastic. This is a great time. All right. Hugs and kisses. Thank you. Mwah.
Remember, we are on the last Tuesday of every month. So here's a big embrace and see you next time.